We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. Yeah, hello everyone. My name is Luke and I've been... I was a student here. I arrived um, 10 years ago, actually, which is well fun. In 2012, um, studied geography, graduated 2015, and I've been heading up the student work ever since and been part of OH1, really, all that time, really. So it is beautiful this time of year. Like many of us have been journeying together and journeying together, but there is something special around this time of year of being able to welcome in the next sort of cohort of helpers it speaks of in Luke, doesn't it? Jesus says the the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So we consider you not just freshers who have arrived, but we consider you as workers for the gospel. Um, so if you want to take up that mantle, like join in basically, there's a good flow of what's happening here in Loughborough. And we often say in open heaven that we're a church. We, they, what do we say? <laughs> we are a church. Um, yeah, we're not a church. What am I saying? Sorry, everyone. We're not a church. Right, everybody, we're starting again. I wrote it down and I've written on my notes. I said, start strong. <laughs> I genuinely do, it says it there. <laughs> we often say, open everyone's not a church to be a part of if you want to stay the same. And we're in, we're in James, that's where we're starting today. And I feel like James is one of those books that he like muscles in, hears us maybe say that and says, all right, then let's see it. Let's see it if you mean that. And we mentioned that our mission statement as a church is to make disciples who establish heaven on earth. And it requires us to change because I can't establish heaven on earth. Um, if I don't change, I need to change. A d- disciple to Jesus, as a follower to him, as an apprentice to him, I need to be there, like, right, I've not got it sorted. I need to change to be more and more like you. Um, so we, we want to allow Jesus to shape us. We want to create more opportunities on a constant basis of the Holy Spirit to fill us and the Father God to guide us in those ways as well. So... Um, I want to pray if that's all right, because I feel like we need to do that at the start of this series. Holy Spirit, would you be with us? We welcome you here. And would you be speaking to us, helping us to outwork this call of discipleship to you? Amen. Amazing. Thank you, everyone. Um, so James, 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 what a book. It's quite a small book in the New Testament, only five chapters long. And uh, gosh, it packs a punch, does James. He doesn't mince his words. There's like no hiding when it comes to James. It's full of analogies and metaphors. A lot of it sort of runs parallel with the Sermon of the Mount, which is really interesting, but in a way that probably more looks like the Proverbs, you know, Old Testament Proverbs, sort of snappy. And I sort of imagine James as like a bit of a sparring boxer, uh, giving us a bit of a left left hook, right hook, and an uppercut here and there. But like at the same time, he sort of comes back to us in the corner, puts an arm around his shoulder and being there like, you're doing good, you're doing great, well done, let's go again, boosh, bash, boosh. And then back in the corner, all right, you're doing great, come on. Um, And there's a real encouragement. Um, James is just over 100 verses long, but it carries 50 commands. 
So he's proper snappy. He's a proper little, oh, he's going to get him in. And really, with starting this series, we might hear that 50 commands of like, oh, my life, does that mean that I need to get to December and have a bit of a list of 50 and, and sort of assess it and be like, like oh, flipping out, I've, I've done rubbish here. I think if we do that, we totally miss the point of James. Um, I think it's probably more likely that we'll come to December and we're like, gosh, there's maybe two or three things that I need to sort of take a real hold of and allow God to do some deep, deep work in us. Um, often it's, it's so easy, isn't it, to sort of read scripture, go through the motions on quite a surface level. Um, but I feel like in this series, we need to like plummet to the depths. I feel like we need to sort of have our arms ready to catch a big anchor that takes us deep, 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 and then return in new life with what the Holy Spirit has done in us. So I'm quite excited um, about this series, really. And, and, and the heart of it is to follow this radical call of discipleship, which is on our lives um, because of Jesus. Um, it is t- it's totally discipleship through and through as James. And there's this conscient, constant tension, really, of like the ways of the world and like the nearness of heaven and the... And the reality of the kingdom, that's a lot of what James is speaking of, really, in this book. And as, as many of you know, if you've been around over the summer, which a lot of you will have been for OH1 summer, if not, here's a little bit of um, insight, really, that we're really, as a church, we're on a bit of a season of discernment up until January. And we're really pushing in and seeking God God, what, what do you have for us as a community, as a church? What doors are opening? We received a prophetic word around we've been in open heaven, but we need open doors. So we're really pushing into that at the moment as a church. So if you are new um, today, that's sort of where we are as a church. We're really pushing into, right, God, what have you put in our hearts? What dreams, visions have you put on our people, our community? The, because that is church. That is us as open heaven. Um, so we're really pushing into that, and we could do that um, really, really well. And we could do the dreaming, we could do the imagination, we could do the, oh, what could it look like? It could look like this, it could look like that. But if it isn't side by side, hand in hand, stitched together with discipleship, um, that's all it is, it's creative ideas, but we need to be rooted in him, we need to be rooted in the word. Um, and allowing the sort of dust of the rabbi Jesus to hit us in the face. Um, if that doesn't make any sense, come and ask me afterwards. It's, pretty, it's a cool metaphor of discipleship. So we, we want to um, we, we not just talk the talk, but we want to walk the walk. And I think James is going to help us with that. Um, really going to help us. So a bit of an introduction to James himself, which is helpful. And more helpful than that is um, James is actually one of those guys he's mentioned a lot in Scripture. Um, So we do get to pick up a little bit about his character and what he's about. Um, This James here is largely believed that it's um, Jesus' brother, which is wicked, isn't it? How cool is that? Imagine being Jesus' brother. Well, James is Jesus' brother. Crazy. Absolutely mad. That's mental. Like, I've got a brother. But like, genuinely, how, like, it's easy to read scripture, isn't it? And sort of forget, oh yeah, these are like humans. These are people who lived. These are people who had families and had jobs and did work. And I mean, ch- chatting to Jess, she's recently been to Israel. And like, suddenly everything just like, poof, this is real life stuff. 
This is actually a moment in history. Jesus had a brother. So James is Jesus' brother. And he was a big player in the early church. It mentions he was a part of the, uh, the Council of Jerusalem where they essentially decided the very start of the church, that, oh, the gospel of Jesus isn't just for the Jews, it's actually for the Gentiles, the non-Jews as well. And James was a part of those discussions, part of that counselor who sort of made it happen for the gospel to spread and go like wildfire, just meaning that we can do what we do today because it didn't get just contained in Jerusalem, but it broke out. I mean, I think the Holy Spirit would have done that anyway, but James helped, I think, in making that reality. And He's mentioned a lot by Paul, who writes a lot of the, the New Testament. I think we've got a slide of um, a lot of those references. So, yeah, he was a brother of John. So this is well interesting. In John 7, there's this interaction with the brothers of Jesus, and they just totally don't really understand what Jesus is about at this point. Um, they're, they're very sort of misunderstood of, Jesus, what are you about? What are you doing? We don't understand your mission and there was a lot of confusion. But then after that, we can basically decipher that resur- resurrection was an absolute game changer for James. He didn't really get it. But then when he, something happened to him when he met with the resurrected Jesus that changed him completely. And he's a completely different guy. Every single reference after resurrection, it's like, boom, what the heck has happened? Well, what has happened? He's met with Jesus, the living Christ. And I think, like, for us, how many times does that just completely change the game when we meet with Jesus, when we meet with the resurrected Christ? Of course it's going to change things. Um, so that's the John passage. Um, a, a lot of these references really are just, just a bit like ne- uh, James being name-dropped of when Paul went on his travels and he went to Jerusalem and he went to Jerusalem again. He's described as one of the pillars of the church alongside Peter and John, so he, he is a, he's a big hitter, basically, and he's, like, he's a really important part of the early church and therefore a really important part to the church today, here now, in 2022, aren't we? Um, and um, there was a 4th century historian called Eusebius, which is a fun name, and he wrote this book called The Ecclesiastical History, which sounds like a real page-turner. But there's this amazing extract in it which sort of describes James in a bit of further detail for us. And it says, He was holy from his mother's womb, and he drank no wine, nor strong drink, um, nor did he eat flesh. No razor came upon his head. He did not anoint himself with oil, and he did not use the bath. He alone was permitted to enter into the holy place, for he wore not woolen, excuse me, but linen garments. And this is the interesting bit. He was in the habit of entering alone into the temple and was frequently found upon his knees, begging forgiveness for the people so that his knees became hard like those of a camel in consequence of his constant bending them in worship of God and asking forgiveness for people. (laughs) What? What? Oh, right. Was there a camel? Did a camel come up on screen? There we go. Well, I, th- <laughs> I thought, um, well, that's a camel's knee. That's what they look like. They're pretty, like, grim-looking. They're pretty calloused. Um, but I love this little extract because it reveals a little bit to us about the, the man of James and his character. And we pick up that he's, gosh, he's a devoted man. 
he's really devoted. He's got this strange habit of so not bathing, cutting his hair, and he, he wears linen, which is lovely, not wool, because that's important to know, I guess. Um, but he has this deep care of his church, so much so that he's going out of his way and going into the temple, and he is praying on his knees so much that they, he, he's got callus on his knees, and he's, he's doing it for the forgiveness of his people, which is well deep. He's doing it on, on behalf of others. So he's devoted. He has a deep commitment to church and a deep commitment to prayer. It's so much so that it changes him physically. And we've just had a whole week of prayer as a church. We had an all-night prayer, and we're really committed to prayer walking. But what would it look like for our prayer lives to affect us and change us physically? Maybe it means that we get through more pairs of shoes if we're prayer walking so much. Maybe it means that, I don't know, our, our hands get calloused, I don't know. But he's got this great nickname um, Eugene Peterson uses of old camel knees. So old camel knees James, which I like. Um, anyway, so that's what other people say about James. But then it's like, okay, James, what do you say about yourself? We've heard all this, and at the beginning of James, instead of bigging himself up, instead of going through all his credentials, instead of sort of uploading his CV, um, instead of name-dropping that he's the brother of Jesus, flipping egg, I think if I was the brother of Jesus, that'd be the first thing he'd be saying to people. Hello, Luke, I'm brother of Jesus, nice to meet you. Instead of all that, he said, James, a servant of God. James, a servant of God. Before all of that, he's like, right, this is my purpose. I know who my, what my family line is. I know that I've got a role of leading this church, but he knows more than that, that his identity is in serving and serving God. Not just people, but serving God. So that's what James says about himself, which is brilliant. That's the kind of man that he is. So when we go through the rest of this um, series together, all of these commands, all 50 of them come from this heart of devoted to the church, prayerfully forgiving us um, before God and um, being a servant in that. And um, for anybody who's read James, J Jesus is barely mentioned in it, which is really interesting. He's like mentioned once right at the beginning in verse 1. So you might think, oh, James is a bit of a strange book. It's not mentioned Jesus. Can we actually read it? And Martin Luther had a whole thing about it, which is interesting. If you're into your church history, go read into that. Um, but J James is incredible at what he does with his writing. Instead of just name-dropping Jesus, he's just constantly pointing towards him in other ways. I think he's sort of helping the reader a little bit of like, right, I'm going to sort of tease Jesus out, but you've got to sort of look at things. So... Um, there's these interesting questions to, to raise. Like in verse 12 of this passage, who is the lonely one who is exalted? Sorry, that's verse 9. Verse 12 is, who is the one who has perfectly endured the test? In verse 17, who is himself the perfect gift that has come down from the Father? It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. And James is just constantly pointing towards Jesus. Of, I'm going to give you these commands but I'm not just doing it from a church leader point of view. You need to do this, you need to do that. But more he's saying, Jesus has done all of these things. He has brought them all into fulfillment. Therefore, we are allowed to, we can do, we got the power to, we got the ability to follow suit. 
Um, so don't be worried if you don't see a lot of Jesus' name. He's there. Just ask yourself, oh, yeah, what is James talking about? Who is he actually describing when he's given all these commands and a lot of this wisdom? Um, so, we're, so we're in the start of chapter one here, aren't we? Um, and it sets up the, the rest of the book in all of its fullness. Like any good writer, he sort of is saying, right, this is what I'm going to talk about. So it's got all the big themes of, of what James wants to speak about. So we'll jump, we'll jump into that, shall we? Um, verses two to eight. That's where we'll spend a bit of time. So do the reason I, I wanted a real Bible is I think there's something really powerful about actually reading scripture from paper. Um, there is some like research into it that you actually memorize things better from paper. But also, I don't know about you, but my phone's well distracting. And I quite like that when I read from a paper Bible that I don't get notifications on like emails or whoever scored in the latest game. Paper doesn't do that. It's well limited, isn't it? It's good. Um, so I would encourage you, this series, bring along your Bibles. If you don't have a physical Bible, chat to me afterwards and we'll get you one because it's important that we have the Word, isn't it? Um, so verses 2 to 8, whack that open if you haven't already. And we've got the, well, it's important to know who James is writing to, which is the Church of Jerusalem. And he leads with, um, he leads with this incredible thing of, it's straight in of facing trials, and you're like, James, why are you leading with that? That's such a strange way of, like, starting something. But he wouldn't lead with that unless they were facing trials. So the Church of Jerusalem, for context, great, Jesus is resurrected, brilliant. But now everybody wants to kill us because we're trying to follow the ways of Christ. That is the reality of these, of these early Christians, is they're being hunted down. They've seen one of their apostles, probably one of their friends, martyred in Stephen. Then we read that story in Acts. So they've, they've essentially bolted. Why have they bolted? How do we know that? James is writing a letter. He wouldn't be writing a letter if they hadn't gone away somewhere. So they must be pretty scared. They've faced these trials. They've faced persecution. They've seen their mate stoned in, 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 in Stephen. And James writes, consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy. Thanks, James. That is exactly what we need to hear, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you, pastor. <laughs> That's really nice. But he says, consider it pure joy. He's not hoping that they're all lying low. He's not hoping that they're all safe. But James, he's celebrating. He's celebrating the fact that this is a discipleship opportunity. He's like, brilliant, you're facing these trials. Now you've got the opportunity to test your faith and let it produce perseverance. And this word um, testing here um, that James uses isn't this sort of like nasty testing from like a nasty God up high of like, you will be tested. It's more about strengthening. So your, your faith will be strengthened. And I do that because it's like testing and strengthening of birds' wings. And um, me and Rach, so Rach was here, we're married. Um, we've been in our house for three years. And every summer we get new housemates in the form of two Swifts, a pair of Swifts. Uh, and they nest just above our bedroom, right at the front of the house. They scuttle around. It's a bit irritating at the beginning, but you do get used to it. Um, they're actually, they're, they're protected actually, everybody. So protect your Swifts. They're in the red category. Um, so we hear them every time they come, like in May time. 
and they're, they're scuttling around, they're making their nests, but they, at, at some point in the summer, you start hearing the little, like, squeak squeaks of a bird. I mean, swift scream, actually. They're like, um, But you hear these little chicks, and then eventually you hear them, like, practicing flapping their wings. It's amazing. And, um, like, I don't know how much you know about swifts. I don't know how many swift enthusiasts we've got, but they're a migratory bird. So they, they're from Africa, but they come up in our summertime um, and, uh, like, nest, essentially. And they, they, I won't go into great detail. They stay the same pair their whole lives, and they return to the same spot every single year. It's well powerful. Um, great metaphor for marriage. That's wicked, isn't it? Um, partners for life. Anyway... Um, Oh, sorry, I've lost my train of thought there. <laughs> um, they, yeah, from Africa. So, um, they need strong wings because swifts do everything on the wing. The only time that they're stationary is when they nest. The rest of the time, they're flying around. So they need strong wings. It's mental. So they do everything. They eat, they sleep, they mate on the wing. All the big three. They do it all. And... Um, they do it all whilst flying. So they need these wings that are strong. So when we hear these chicks like flapping about, they're strengthening, they're testing their wings to know that, that it works because they need it to work. Um, Edinburgh Uni, they actually did a study and found that the, the shape of the wings of the swift, I've gone deep into this swift analogy here, but um, I don't know. That's not a swift, by the way. I, I do know that. That is not a swift. Um, but they're curved in such a way, they're, they're made in such a way, of, uh, positioned in such a way that when storms come, they can, they can just fly through storms, breezy, easy, like no problem. They're incredible and they've been created in this way. They've got the strength in their wings. What am I saying? It basically sounds familiar, doesn't it, guys? It's really interesting, but this is essentially it. That we can have joy, um, consider it pure joy, all the trials that we're facing, because we get to test our wings. And um, back to the passage, you know that the, the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and that's our invitation today, um, to allow our faith to be tested, to be strengthened, to change our shape and our posture of our arms, our lives, to look like this, the posture of Christ, which we get to join in with Jesus, we get to join in with the posture of the cross. We get to join in with the suffering. We get to join in with the surrender. We get to join in with the trials. We get to join in so that it may finish the good work in us, as it says in those verses. So is that, is, that is our posture. Like the swifts and their posture, they get to fly through storms. This is our posture so that we can fly through our storms. That is the way. We get to join in with Jesus. Um, I'm aware of time. The next few verses, we'll go into greater detail in this series. It speaks of wisdom. It says, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. Simple. There'll be a whole week on that. Um, it talks also about um, poverty and wealth. And I will touch on this, actually, because it, James writes about a wild flower passing away. And I think... Um, it talks about wildfire passing away in the same, wealth that, uh, same way that wealth is like a wildflower that passes away. 
And for the Jewish readers, for those who've been brought up with the scriptures, they would have, I imagine, would have thought back to what the prophet Isaiah said in, in chapter 40, verses 7 to 8. And it says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. The word of the, sorry, but the word of our God endures forever. So let's not put our hope in just like the beautiful things of life or personal glory that will fade away. For those who have just arrived at uni, let's not put our faith in those that will just die away and wither away. But let's put it in something that is consistent, that is stable, that can't be knocked over, that is steadfast, and that's the word of the Lord. That's why these are blinking important. Um, so Jesus reminds us to put our trust in him and his word, which is everlasting. And then we got verse 12, which is like huge. Um, I feel like there should be a but or a however before this, uh, if you flick to it. And I think this summarizes a lot of what James is wanting to say um, in verse 12. It says, however, I'm going to add that in. However, we've just heard about all the trials. We've heard about the wildflower dying away, not lasting till morning. Life's tough. However, verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And this is the promise of God to us. This is the promise that when we do stand firm, when we, are, when we do persevere, when we do strengthen ourselves in him we receive life and it's victorious life given to us by the life death and resurrection of Jesus Jesus he wore the mock crown of thorns in order for us to be able to wear the crown of life and this crown is is a marker of eternal life that is given to us that is brought through us that means that we are allowed to have salvation through him because of Jesus coming to earth declaring that the kingdom has come and it has come near and defeat in death. So this testing, the trials that we face are temporary. Those temptation that he speaks of, they are temporary. And James is reminding us of the certainty of life through Christ, who isn't affected by the waves and the winds that are spoken of in this passage, but he is faithful with us in them. And I feel like that is an invitation to us maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, maybe at this time, right at the start of an academic year, coming to a new town, new city, surrounded by a world that you don't really understand and you don't get, but there is that invitation to receive this crown of life because of Jesus, who allows it to happen. Then we end this passage with two births, a birth that gives life to death and a birth that give, gives life to life. And um, it sort of, it feeds into a lot of the New Testament writings about the world's ways and kingdom ways, the old ways and the new ways through Christ. And uh, I don't know if I put the passages up there. I probably don't have time to sort of read them out. But Galatians, Ephesians, Hebrews, there's more of them as well. But I think the Hebrews one sums it up. So Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2, says, let us... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easy, easily entangles and let us run with perseverance to the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. 
So in these two births, one giving birth to, to death, the other to life, James is sort of just preaching the preach that the early church is preaching. Take off the old self, get on the new. Take on the old way of doing things, but that produces death. We put on the new way, the new life, the new commands of Christ, which brings freedom and gives birth to life in us. So it is classic it is classic New Testament. And James is doing some brilliant teaching here when he's talking about temptation in verses 16, something like that. Where is he? Um, 13, sorry. He's doing some great sort of teaching and, and correcting, really. And he's saying, like, don't start believing lies about God, that he is the one that tempts us, that, that God plants in us the evil that we outwork. Um, and we need those sort of types of reminders, don't we? We need those reminders from people to say, no, 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 like, that isn't God. The temptations that we face, those evil de de desires, this is a pretty, he pretty heavy word, that, isn't it? But essentially, what are the evil desires? Essentially, the desires that aren't of God. Like, oh, God, are you putting that in me? Like, is all the sort of pain and suffering that I'm experiencing, is that from you, God? The way that life's really, really like dark at times and, and it feels like I'm just suffering constantly or and I can see suffering at others. Like, is that your doing? Are you doing this? Like the energy crisis happening at the moment. God, is that you? Is that your doing? The environmental crisis. God, is that you? <sighs> the drop in the pound recently. God, is, is that your doing? But we need that correcting, don't we? Of like, no, that is not God's heart. That is not his character. James is reminding us here that that version isn't the version of our God. And we need to come in line with the truth that is him that gives birth to life. Which is big. And then after that, we've got verse 16, which is massive. And James is, I think, just being an unbelievable church leader here. And he's saying, don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Don't be deceived, OH1. Don't be deceived, Open Heaven. Don't be deceived, Loughborough. Don't be deceived. It's such a plea from a faithful church leader. I can sort of imagine him looking bookie as anything with callous knees, but he's like, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Have courage. Look up. Dust yourself down. Stop listening to the clanging symbols of life. Look to him. There is hope. Believe in the truth. There is a better way. Yes, life is mad and crazy and hard, but see, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect good, uh, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Jesus followed the way. Uh, Jesus led the way, so we follow in it. Who does not change like shifting shadows. Who does not change like shifting shadows. Who does not change like headlines. Does not change like our emotions. Does not change like our feelings. Does not change by the other things in life. He chose to give us birth. God chose to give us birth. He chose it. He chose it. He chose to give us new birth through the word of truth that we might be kind of first fruits of all created. This is the message of James. This is the message of the series. In all the other weeks that come after, this is the message. 
Do not be deceived. He has chosen us to have birth in new life. Come on, James. Come on. And this is the promise of God over in heaven. This, this is it. We believe and put our trust in the one who does not change. Like those shifting sh shadows. He is faithful. He is steadfast. And he chose us. He chose me. He chose you and gave birth through the word of trust so that we might be fruitful and fulfill our role as the pinnacle of all creation as we read in Genesis. That he created everything and said it was good. He created humans and he said we're very good. We are the pinnacle of his creation. And he blessed us and he commissioned us. And this is why we don't let ourselves be deceived. This is why we listen to the reminder of James. Do not be deceived because there is a greater story at play that we cannot see. Or we only see in part. There is a beautiful narrative of creation that we only see in part. And we have a salvation and the promise of life now and forevermore. Now and forevermore, that is the promise. So as we start James, that is our posture. We join in. We strengthen our arms in ultimate surrender to him. We receive that crown of life. And we allow our lives to embody something that gives birth to life. And that is fruitful. That outworks the blessing that God gave us at the beginning, the commission that he gave us at the beginning, and the commission that is still being outworked, which is for us to make disciples, be fruitful, fill the land with his kingdom, and announce it here on earth. So